Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm so excited to be able to have a conversation today with John Meehan. He's going to be joining us uh, this November for a two-day in-person learning opportunity that's going to be out of Omaha, NESU 3. And so th- today's podcast uh, is going to serve a couple purposes. One, get a chance to learn from John and get a little better sense of what he and Michael Matera are doing with EMC2 Learning. Uh, we're going to talk UDL. We're going to talk engagement, uh, and also really just point to that event and say that if you were part of our ESU network, so I'm talking to those colleagues we have across the state, uh, reach out, make sure that you're able to be a part of that opportunity come this November. And so, John, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrew, man. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, great to have you. And for those that don't know John, he's a teacher, educator, author, general just edu rock star is what I'll say. For those that don't know you, John, can you give a little bit more of your backstory? Sure. And like I said, thank you for having me today. I've been I've been geeked about it. I was bragging to friends and family like, guys, I got to clear my Monday schedule because I am recording a podcast all the way out Nebraska. And I've never been in Nebraska. So like I'm virtually voicing myself in and I just don't want to screw it up. So I apologize. Any mistakes are mine. Andrew's doing a great job on the back end. Um, and uh, you mentioned Michael Matera, who I do a lot of work with. Michael, uh, of course, knew you for, for a long time. So you and I had a chance to catch up like in person two, three times. And I'm like, all right, like when the right people know the right people, we all get a chance to connect. It's just really cool to bring rock stars together. And then it really is the, the, the party starts. So a bit about me. Um, I live just outside of College Park, Maryland. Um, so Washington, D.C. I've been in Washington, D.C. adjacent for the better part of 20 years, which is crazy to think about it. I'm coming up on my 20 year reunion uh, for college. Uh, so it's been it's been a hike. I got into teaching about 15 years ago. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I was in the public schools in Prince George's County, Maryland, just outside of uh, D.C., where the commanders lose football games. Uh, we, we, we have our stadium and that's where the, the, the schools are set up. And they're um, like 2-0, by the way, as we're recording this podcast. Yeah, right. yeah, they're always 2-0 in September. That's always the story. And then like at the end of the year, they're 2-17. and 17. Um, But uh, yeah, so I, 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 I've been working out here public schools and then into the private schools. I was in the public schools and the private. I was um, most recently an instructional coach for 10 years and a classroom teacher of English. I love high school English. Um, and I joke like, even though I taught at a Catholic school, great teaching is content agnostic. So what we're really doing is just reaching kids of all faiths, all backgrounds, colors, creeds, sexual orientations, helping them see themselves in our curriculum. And that led to my work as an instructional coach, instructional designer, uh, researcher, writer. So now I work full-time for the county. I work kind of behind the scenes as my official title is Teacher Specialist Director of Gamification, Innovation, and Artificial Intelligence, which is totally made up <laughs> all of this stuff. I feel like it's just a cool title to brag about at Thanksgiving with mom and dad. Um, and then I work uh, when I'm not working full-time for them, I work full-time with Michael and I with EMC2 Learning. We specialize in playful pedagogy for real results to help teachers get the resources to turn research into reality, making our classrooms more student-centered, accessible, and really all the good stuff that we talk about with UDL um, to get our kids into learning, to get them excited. And so, yeah, that's a lot. I'll shut up. I've done a lot. So, <laughs> no, and, you know, that's really the avenue through which our TLT group and our ESU network statewide, so our teaching and learning uh, with technology specialists, recognize your work with EMC2 Learning and we're interested to learn more about engagement and engagement strategies. And that is always such a vital element of any lesson design and also just the execution of, right? So to be thinking about how to try to reach students and keep them engaged, but then how to implement that is maybe an entirely separate 
part of the conversation. So you mentioned UDL strategies. Maybe that's a great place for us to start when we think of design. And so let's go there, John. Yeah. So, I mean, like Michael jokes, and I think it's funny, you know, there's, I think Quinn Rollins wrote in his book, Play Like a Pirate. There's a lot of um, pressure when you are the playful, the fun teacher, you know, because people just want to see what play and what fun you'll have next. Uh, Dave Burgess talks about it in the Teach Like a Pirate book. He's like, people say, oh, it, it must be easy for you. It's like, do you think this pirate outfit lands on me when I wake up? That's easy. Like, you know, I come through airports with like a, a bandana and a big earring. Is that easy for me? You know, there's a pressure in being the guy who has to always say, okay, what's next? Like evil can evil. What's the next big jump? And I think one of the raps that Michael and I got or get as the fun and games guys, it is all fun and games. It feels very like Pinteresty, bloggy, like uh, this is not, not real researchy. Uh, but Michael says so eloquently, he's like, John, between us, we've written three books. You can't write three books on 50 ways to give a kid a sticker. You just can't. There's, there's some meat on the bone there. And one of the ways that we've found that has been incredibly, I guess, uh, a great leveler or a great inroad has been through the conversation of the Universal Design for Learning, UDL. And I realize you can do a whole life's work on UDL. And Katie Novak and her team do a fantastic job uh, with that stuff. Like, if you read any books on education, Andrew's yours is lovely, mine is fantastic, you know, Michael's is good, but like go and read Katie Novak stuff, like spend your life learning through the UDL lens. But a lot of times UDL can be scary for people because it feels so theoretical. It's, oh, that's just what good teaching looks like. It's like, no, there's there's a science behind each of the pieces and parts and the components and the modules and the checkpoints and the look for And um, sometimes when you are trying to design a lesson with UDL in mind, what ends up happening is it feels like you're driving with a cop following you. So you're always overcorrecting and you're not really being your natural teacher self. And so a lot of the work that I do is really just to help people show that they don't have to take themselves so seriously, but be really serious about the work that we do. And then let that passion for who you are in your hobbies, in your, your, your habits and your lifestyle really bleed into your classroom, flow into the classroom so that your students can see you have removed barriers uh, that would keep you otherwise at like a, like a sage on the stage model. And then it really does move through the guide on the side to say, hey, we want them in too. Kids see themselves in our classrooms and they see that there's possibility of things that they can do. Like they start to get a chance to create and so they become creative. They see themselves as creative. Um, and what UDL does so well is it just recognizes that there's a lot of barriers that we didn't kind of account for that are always in our systems, but they're not in our students. And if we just think about our systems a little differently, we can break them down and get the kids in. Wow, and as you're explaining that, and I know engagement being one of the the key pillars of the UDL strategies, you start to think that all that goes into engagement, and and you touched upon it there, it is that student teacher relationship. I know some of the classes that I cared the most about is because I connected with that teacher first, and that led to a certain level of intrinsic motivation that I held myself to a standard because I was so inspired by that individual. And others, uh, and, and again, was referencing your example there. That, that maybe it's in the learning and I'm just entirely captivated by the topics that we're covering. And, but then there's also the creator piece, which you mentioned in addition to, and none of those things have to do with maybe even the facilitation of the experience. And so there's kind of a lot that goes into this, right? Uh, it is. I mean, we joke like you go from sage on the stage through guide on the side and become as uh, a researcher out of Elon college. He says, uh, his name's Tony Weston. And he says, you become the impresario with a scenario. I love that. I love that. Like, you say, like Jeff Probst, come on in, guys. And you show them the obstacle course. And you say, worth playing for? I'll give you a minute to strategize. Survivor's ready. Go. But we all know that Jeff Probst is an executive producer of this show, right? So he's not just telling them how the game is run. He has engineered with the team what this will look like and where the action points are, where the pain points are, and where the obstacles will have choke points that will slow people down. And he's working to get the best 
television possible, which is he wants to see people pushing themselves to incredible limits and getting all the cool stuff that you get in a reality TV show, right? Well, it's the same thing. It's a design. And thinking of ourselves as a designer, designing to engage, designing everything that you mentioned the word captivated. Michael and I use it all the time. We say, you know, if a person's truly captivated, they don't need to be held captive. That is that free volition of this is awesome. There's something that's terrifying here or uh, daunting or bigger than me or just a little too hard. And then people lean in because it feels both for student and for, for teacher alike, kind of exciting, kind of exhilarating. Like this is, I mean, you and I have a conversation offline about, you know, running or, or lifting. Why do you climb a mountain? Because it's there, man. Like, I don't know. Like I run marathons. Why? Because someone said I couldn't. So just to prove myself to be a little better than myself and always challenging our students to do, I mean, what, what CrossFit does so well, what, what marathon running so well is, it's a race between you and yourself. It's a race between your personal best. The job, the work, a marathon doesn't get easier. You just get stronger and you get stronger by showing up every single day. And then giving our students a chance to see that it's not an arbitrary point A to an arbitrary point B, where they'll be measured somewhere along that growth trajectory. It's your point A to your point B. And then tomorrow to your point C and to point D. So you set small goals, you crush small goals, you set new goals and you rinse and repeat. And like, that changes everything when you start to feel that sense of momentum, that sense of personalization, but that can be really hard at scale. And so some of the work that we do like very easily can be dismissed as very ivory tower. So that's why we work with teachers through service groups, through instructional coaching, through classroom support, through virtual uh, events to help people kind of ground and contextualize all of this theory, which is, that's nice, but I have classes of 42 or I have students with IEPs or yes, 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 yes. I get it. I've been there. And that's, that's the work. That's what, that's, that's the awesome part of the job. Across all the experiences that you were just sharing there, it strikes me too, that while the individual is held to being better than who they were yesterday, right. Or uh, attaining the thing tomorrow that they've been striving for, for quite some time, there is a camaraderie and a culture that is built by doing that type of work and effort alongside other people who are committed to similar things. And I would say under the leadership and uh, here we go back to the guy on the side types of things, <laughs> but but that there's also someone there uh, to help assure you that you're steered in the right direction and, and that you have support along the way. Uh, and so I think that makes this topic of engagement so multifaceted, but then also really fun. And maybe to the point from earlier as well, uh, there's not really a, an arrival. You don't just reach this place where you just have nailed engagement uh, across any and all fronts because there's so much nuance. To it. Is that fair to say, I guess, is where I'm going with that? I think I, you know, I heard someone say, maybe it's a line from The Simpsons, because most good quotes come from The Simpsons. You know, I thought I knew what cool was, then they changed what cool is. You know, I'm like, if I'm like, hey, teenagers, let's talk about uh, Beyonce Knowles, because that's what you care about, right? They're looking at me like, oh, Mr. Meehan, she's so last season. Like, it's all about Dua Lipa. And I'm like, What's a Dua Lipa? And by the time we even make that joke, they have like three or four new favorites, right? So like, I could make a killer presentation. When I started, I started, um, you know, Prince George's County, Maryland here in DC. I had a class of 42 and I had desk for 35. And I had to get this get generation of kids into learning when I didn't know the first thing about teaching. So like, good luck, guy. Oh, and I was in a tested subject area in a school that was 87% free and reduced meals. So I had like 202 students on my caseload and you know, in my classes, but I didn't have enough desks to support every person. So immediately I'm like, well, what are these kids like? They like Facebook, they like blogs and YouTube was really popular at the time. So I went hard into that stuff. If I roll in today, trying to get a classroom of kids, like, 
hey there, teenagers, want to hang out on Blogger or the Facebook machine? Like, I'd be laughed out of the room, and rightly so. But those classes are still 42 kids when you have desks for 35. So how does today's teacher keep up with what cool is, right? And like, I'm not saying I am. What I'm saying is my job is to trend spot and to figure out what do today's kids love? Why do they love that thing? As that moving target shifts and grows and changes, I can't put Beyonce in every lesson plan, but what I can do is whatever the Beyonce type thing that drew my students to Beyonce was, understand that and then reverse engineer instructional technique that can work for any course content area to say, hey, in as much as your kid likes pop artist X, there's a good chance they can also be made to like unit Y. So as an English teacher, like poetry is a perfect example, but recognizing that the content sits in the passenger seat and that the transfer skills are always the driver. Sometimes you just need to be reminded of that. And that's a big part of the work that we're doing is designing things that are content agnostic, right? Not that it's just for English or it's just for science or it's just for third graders or it's just for AP classes. It's no, no, no. Engagement is age appropriate strategies to get students doing harder work than they otherwise would have feel comfortable because they were having fun when they did it and they don't realize that they just ran a marathon and then they want to run a second and a third. So that's kind of the name of the game. And it's a lot of work, but to be honest, it's a lot of work. But very rewarding. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, if I had hair, I would rip it out. Like, I, I, I am always working. And, like, I'm not fun at parties because I, I just – so I watched an NFL games this weekend, right? Like, I'm watching that and figuring out how I can make something like Bill Belichick's defense strategy on special teams to come through and have a running attack to stop a extra point or a field goal. Like it's such a small tweak on an age old system, but this guy is constantly evolving, constantly changing. My picture behind me, I have a picture of the Super Bowl where the, I'm a Patriots guy, but like Malcolm Butler makes an interception on the one yard line because they schemed and thought within an inch of its life, this play requires this player in this particular strategy. You know, like there's a quote in DC on one of the, the, the monuments that I love. It says the eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. That's what we do to stay engaged. You must always be on alert. So like I'm watching a game on TV saying, how can I make this game more like my classroom or my classroom more like this game? And that's not just a passing reference to, hey, guys, did you see the commanders game this weekend? It's what about the NFL coverage of a football game in 2023 is different than the way that they covered a game in 1993? Because today's students grow up with next gen stats that expect X, Y's and Z's. How do I make our classrooms feel more next gen, which resonates because these kids are constantly bombarded with engagement every space outside of our classroom and when they have these things in their hands that immediately have the likes and the tweets and the retweets and then the, how can you be expected to keep up with that without being performative or virtue signaling like hey guys let's talk about twitter changing its name by the time i'm on twitter they're already on five other platforms so what i have to do is recognize again the content is passenger seat the transfer skill is always that driver it's an awesome awesome job to have yeah, absolutely. It's a lens that you just develop, as you said, and you start to just the rhythms of life and the situations you find yourself in through that lens and it informs. But I think there's like a little bit of a beautiful reciprocity to it where you're that much it, more tuned. Yeah, yeah. But again, like I said, I'll find a party because I don't have an off switch, right? Like I'm Neo in the Matrix. Like all I see is the zeros and ones zipping around my head and realizing I know Kung Fu, right? Like what I'm doing is... I'm living in a world and like, it sounds very like, like trippy or I'm fine by the way, <laughs> but like, uh, 
it it feels like someone who's who's like some sort of like on some spiritual journey but i really do believe we can live in a world that we design you be intentional about our design approach and it's not because i'm squishy hippy dippy like you know every kid gets flowers and rainbows no i've I want to work with kids who did not have that shot, who have that hand of cards that they were dealt and were told that that's a bad hand. Like I want them to show, it's not about the cards you were dealt, it's how you play the hand that you have. But if you think about it, you can succeed in arenas X and Y and Z. We look at the, the typical gamer, the I guess the stereotype for gamers, and it's a neck beard covered in Cheetos drinking Monster Energy drinks, right? But that same kid who fails in the classroom kills it on World of Warcraft. So how is it that we have designed a system that kind of creates a caricature of failure that then is turned into like a celebrated, they have a headset on and they're talking to a team in three different countries. How do we get that same motivation back in our classroom? How is it that our math class kid gets one question wrong and says math isn't for me, but they go home and they play Fortnite and die four out of five times and watch Twitch streams and say, gosh, I want to get better at this thing that I keep dying at. But one algebra problem is too much. I, I refuse to accept that as where we start. So that's where we start. And that becomes the conversation then. Well, what is that doing right that we're doing wrong? What is Pokemon doing right to create literacy strategies in students that there's no Pokemon achievement gap? How do we close those things in our schools? And then like, I mean, you see me, I'm just getting, I'm getting fired up. And like, let's go, let's do it. So, yeah. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to connect around this too, because I get really nerdy as well. Uh, and gosh, really what you shared there, I think speaks to the heart behind this work and the why on some level. And so if we started to transition to the how, I would set that up by saying, I know, from my conversations with Michael, and I think we even referenced this on the podcast we did most recently, tease out this idea between what you're talking about and what he sometimes is referenced as chocolate broccoli. If if you as a listener have not heard Andrew have a conversation with Michael, listen to that one first. This 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 was just a build on it. But the quick recap, like the first 20 pages of every Harry Potter book of what you missed, this is the chocolate covered broccoli story, which is a lot of times to get kids to eat their veggies, we drizzle it in chocolate sauce, which in theory is great because they ate the veggies, but when we strip back all of that flavor that we enhanced, we actually drowned out the good stuff. All of the caloric benefit would have been wasted by putting sugar sauce on that. And that's not what we want to do. So in the world of game design, we often talk about chocolate covered broccoli as what carrot can we get the kids in to avoid giving them the stick? Um, and what ends up happening then is the teachers become edutainers. And I I think I'm entertaining. I'm, I'm, I'm charismatic, I'm charming, like I'm funny, but that's not my job. <laughs> my job is to work with kids and be relational. and. There are a lot of people who say, look, I'm not a type A. I'm not particularly confident in this thing. I don't see charisma as naturally flowing. I'm working with a, a different population or it's not my tradition and whatever these things are. There are these barriers that can make us feel less than our most confident selves in a classroom. And I have to own that. So I'm not saying go out there and play the part of some, you know, huckster, like some P.T. Barnum in the classroom. But Dave Bridges writes about it so well, like, but we need to hook our students in. And if we're doing something that is creating an artificial hook that in some ways is even worse because then what you've shown them is math isn't fun but shooting baskets is fun right guys okay well how about this for every three questions you get right you get to shoot a basket what you've told them is math is a barrier that gets in the way of the thing they want to do which is shoot baskets and i've played the trash ball game i've done the the button mashing like because teachers are constantly told to move their classes to engagement and student-centered and like well what does that look like so you're being observed and someone comes in and in a pinch, you turn to the nearest port in the storm and you have these brightly colored guessing games, which are like button mashing where speed kills. But when you peel back all that pixie dust, what you're looking at is a 21st century scantron, like a multiple choice test that you just said the rich get richer because they buzzed in fast and the poor get poorer. Or they get punched because there's a leaderboard that says, Billy, you read too slow. So now you have 
7,000 points when Johnny has 40,000 points. Oh, by the way, this Johnny is dyslexic or that Johnny has a learning disability. And we create a game that then that student says, I, I have fear when we see the brightly colored thing with the bells and the whistles, because that's another way that I will be reminded that I have the digital dunce cap all the time, all the time. So, I mean, with love and kindness to those people, I mean, there's a space for everything. You can eat McDonald's or Arby's for dinner every night too, if you wanted to. Um, but I know where the nutritional benefit as a teacher is. I refuse to abdicate my design responsibilities to someone else to make my classes fun, quote unquote, when what I really need to do is recognize what about my kids makes them want to learn, want to work, want to have questions, want to have hurt in the first place, and then push those pain points away and create a space where we're saying, hey, whoever you are, come here. The game doesn't care whether you're rich or poor, gay or straight, black or white, old or young. The game says, do you want to play? Because you have the answer in you. You're a wizard, Harry. Like, click your heels, Dorothy, and let's turn this world of color together. But that is not okay, five points for Gryffindor because you shot a basket or like you were the fastest to buzz in, Andrew. So your team gets 5,000 points to the other guys. I just, I just, I think we can do better. And I, and I challenge myself to then provide money where my mouth is. If I say that to teachers, well, what does better look like? Well, that's why we do the work we do. That's how Michael and I started our work together. I love that. And that's, it harkens back to a couple of conversations I had recently where Bold Gratitude, the journal from uh, Lainey Rao, she has a permission slip in there that it's not just enough to invite you to play, but you have to really want to be engaged in this and sign up for it. Uh, and Paul Darvazi has been on the podcast a number of times too. And, and he encourages folks to consider that it's not just enough to say, we're playing this game today in class, but how do you get students to sign themselves up for it? And just what that does um, intrinsically for kickstarting that experience. And uh, I, I think, you know, as you were talking there a moment ago about the different types of chocolate broccoli or experiences that are out there, uh, maybe for people that are having a tough time starting to get their mind, an example would be great. And then we can kind of zoom back out again. But what would you say to paint oh, that for folks? Uh, I'm not, mm -mm, we're doing this. You're setting me up. They're going to come to my house because I gave my home address and then I'm going to get killed by the Kahoot guys. So when I mention them by name, you guys, this is my last will and testament. Please find me. I'm buried under letter A. That's the red one, or B is the yellow one, or C is the blue one, uh, somewhere like that. Um, but I want to, I mean, Kahoot is a perfect example of it. Like, man, we've we've all seen it. And we've seen the first time your kids touch Kahoot, it's like adrenaline in the veins. Everyone just pops. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. These kids are bouncing off the walls. That song is there, infectious. And it's energy. You see these kids, they can't wait to buzz in, buzz in, buzz in, right? Classroom Jeopardy, the first time, I mean, I've, I've I'll pick on Jeopardy because they're a little smaller, uh, even though I think they're owned by Disney ABC. Oh, my God, I'm dead. Um, I picked on the Mouse House twice because I'm pretty sure that Kahoot is valued at like $300 million. And as far as in a first round of uh, angel investors, uh, the Disney Corporation actually owns a, a share of Kahoot. So it was the mouse who did me in, guys. That's it. Um, but that's it. Like, I, I, I'm going to slag on Mickey Mouse. I don't want a Mickey Mouse classroom. I don't want the, the guessing game classroom. And Jeopardy is a perfect example. Kahoot, perfect example of it where the kids start to fall out of it after the first five minutes or so, because you realize mathematically you're beat. And so it creates what Michael calls the jeopardy effect. And it's so true. If you can't statistically win, you're just going to mash buttons blindly so that you can at least be competitive. What did you learn? I don't know how to mash buttons. I don't care. And then you have to do that teacher trick where you say, okay, okay, okay. Everyone put the buzzers down. No one buzzes in twice before everyone buzzes in once. And then you built the whole jeopardy board with 30 questions and you have maybe four teams in class. So the average kid spends 20, 25 questions waiting their turn rather than actually having their turn. What kind of game is that? 
And then when you take the transfer and like, I would challenge anybody who's an education researcher on the podcast, hit me up. I will give you my information. We can contact offline, but like, I would like to see someone pull the receipts on the long-term yield of success of the more gamified things that we see. And I'm all about gamification, all about it. It's my life's work. But when we think about gamification, like the guessing game bar trivia style, red, blue, yellow, or greens. Um, Cause what happens is people buzz in quickly hack to get the right answers. And they start to see like a pattern um, almost like the second starters. They figure it out. They get the same questions again and again and again and again, like digital flashcards. And we dress it up where they get little widgets or gims or tokens or gems. But what ends up happening at the end is it's a guessing game. It is a Scantron test. It is a multiple choice where they have had to do zero in the way of creative thought. Any strategy they would have would be in their strategy of their gameplay, not in how they can think outside the box that questions could also be A, B, C, and D, but also E and F, and maybe one and two, and maybe X and Y and Z. And so we limit it to a very limited menu. I would love to see the receipts on what the yield is because anecdotally and working with teachers as a consultant, as an educator, and as an instructional designer, the fall off is very, very high. Um, teachers see the kids get engaging, having fun, getting all the right answers. Two days later when they take the test, the exact same questions, if they're presented in a slightly different way, the students don't have that sentence starter. They don't have that de-stemmed way to kind of deprogram it. And they end up totally lost, even though they killed it on the review. So that's, I mean, that's where I'm, shots fired. That's who I'm coming for. Like, I, I don't think guessing games is the best use of our time in our classrooms. And what we model for our students is as if you're that parent who says, hey guys, tonight for dinner, we're having McDonald's because that's what good home cooking is. Like, don't lie to yourself and say it's anything other than fast food. It's fine for a pinch, but like, I think it creates a bad taste in everyone's mouth because the game becomes the gimmick. And then when people think game, they think it's disposable. You know, I, I have contractors working on the back of my yard and I was just saying, I'm, I'm frustrated they're playing those the contractor games that you know every contractor plays. Oh, it's late. Oh, it's raining. I was like, because that gives a bad name to contractors everywhere, including honest people who are trying to do hard work. And in the work that Michael and I do, we are very, very serious about how we play, not just because we create artificial rules or artificial boundaries, but because we recognize that the best games invite that volition and that consent. And there's always a new level that will push you to play it harder and more strategically and more creatively. That's that invitation that really great teaching is built on, I, I think. So and that's my soapbox. I'm sorry, you got me hot. I was mentioning them. <laughs> well, and what I hear there too is that games aren't necessarily relegated to end of unit review. Um, I think uh, Shakespeare, because <laughs> I'm always on an English background. Hamlet says, "'Tis nothing either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so." Like there is a relative scale of which things are good or bad in our life. And I think we as teachers have relegated the review game as the one day that's appropriate to do something like Jeopardy because, you know, Alex Trebek wore a shirt and tie and he had that funny mustache. He looked like a smart man. And that felt like good school game. You would never play double dare in classroom. How dare you, right? And anything athletic would be an after school game because those would be appropriate after school games. But this is the in school game one time. I think we can do better. I think if we think about it, you can make a warm up activity very game like. A perfect example of this very classic teacher training 101. You draw a giant freaking line on the board from left to right on a scale of zero to 100. You write the number zero, midway, you write the number 50, you write the number 100. You've used exactly zero prep seconds. Hey guys, come on in and grab a seat. Here's an issue. You ask the question, do you strongly agree? Put yourself at 100%. Or do you strongly disagree? Put yourself at 0%. 
everybody has a sticky note. And on that sticky note, write your first name. When you feel comfortable, take the board and just stick it. We've created a game. There is a buy-in. There is a voluntary attempt to overcome an unnecessary obstacle. I could have just asked that as a poll question. Instead, I have my students doing a little bit of active learning strategies. They're standing up. If you're in a UDL classroom and you want to make it not ableist because the best games are not creating barriers, a student who may not be able to physically stand up, you can create a digital version of the exact same game on a Jamboard. Hey guys, post it where you feel comfortable. Students start to see clusters of students who are saying, oh, I'm at a 0% agreement or a 13% agreement or a 52% agreement. And I don't care what the answer is. Jim Knight's instructional coaching whole strategy is ask someone why they said what they said. Don't say the correct answer was X or Y or Z. And I spend enough time in therapy for myself to know when I talk to my shrink and they say, hey, how you feeling on a scale of one to 10? That Likert scale is totally made up. What they want to know is you said six, but not seven. I'm interested. What would a seven look like to you? Huh, you said six and not five. Well, it's not that bad then, is it? And the answer is yes and, right? As Limov writes in the, the Teach Like a Champion book, the reward for the correct answer is harder questions. That's what great games do. Every kid posts a sticky note on that board and you have instant data from 30 bodies and you have conversation points. All right, find someone who's in the same area as you and tell them why we are all right. Or better yet, find someone who's in a different area and let's make a teams divide why they're wrong and why... I don't know what the answer is. And that's the beauty of it. It's all metacognition. It's all Socratic. And it's every kid feeling that they're either the brave ones because they stood out on the line all by themselves. And that one person who can change everyone like 12 angry men, or you guys are in the herd. You're, you, you must be right. Oh man, you're already right already. Look, there's 10 people who agree with you. Bobby, can you say why we're all right? That inclusion makes kids feel included. And that's a game. Okay. Then do that every freaking day in your classroom. And like, that is a zero prep. We should be doing more of stuff like that, but we don't. And we think about it like, oh, well, only the review days. <laughs> Something like that. It's it's exactly where we need to be and be more of. And I'm excited that our educators here in Nebraska are get to learn more examples like that from the two-day training and I'm sure much more uh, over the course of that time. So for those that are listening in that will have the opportunity to be part of that experience, uh, can you give us a little taste of what that two days might entail? Because I just hearing that one example has me excited for all the learning that's going to take place over the course of that time. Let's get no a one pressure. to 10 right now, right? I mean, no pressure. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Like, you know, Michael and I say, again, you can't read three books on 50 ways to give a sticker, but like you can create new resources just with that Likert scale. You can come up with 30 different ways to use a Likert scale. And the smartest person in the room is the room. If I roll that out, like down the table and everyone just sees it and says, wait a minute, hang on a second. There's 20 of us in the room. There's 30 of us in the room. Okay. If 30 of us come together, let's come up with ideas. What are other ways we can use a Likert style activity as an example? And we spend 10 and 15 minutes just, just brain jamming on that one, right? Like, okay, then write it down. And if three of these ideas suck, because they will suck, that's okay. Give yourself permission to write down. I mean, Seth Godin writes it in one of his books. He says, people say, I don't have any great ideas. And he says, well, do you have bad ideas? Can you tell me some of them? Because if you tell me enough bad ideas, eventually an okay one will sneak in. And the quality control kind of works in reverse. Hey, you wrote down 10 ideas. Those 10 ideas suck, but you know what? Idea 11 sucks the least. Hey, that's cool. And then we just turned a Likert scale into a ranking and rating type game. And that's it, right? So what we're doing is giving teachers the occasion to do that. Dorothy Gale in Kansas is black and white, but to come to that retreat type space to say, when you're here, there is a world of color, click your heels, and you've had the power all along. And that's not squishy, like, you know, esoteric pie in the sky, because Michael and I design resources, and the teachers who come to our, our session, 
we equip you with all sorts of resources, site access to the platform that we built together. We have, as of this morning, like 650 fully editable resources with activity templates and downloadables and like plug and play videos to walk you through how to do stuff like this. Like the Google slide that's already laid out with the, the Likert scale, something like that. Got over 600 of those things, man. So like find the ones that work for you, open it up like a library, play with it for a bit, then talk to a group around you say, okay, this will never work as written, but I can change it because the house rules are what make the game more exciting. So when they land on go, they get $300 and your house game a monopoly. Or when they land on free parking, they get all the extra cash. Make the rule that makes sense for you. And if you feel comfortable, then make the next rule varying and, 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 and. So we're never just, I mean, I think Michael Cohen wrote it in his book. Creativity is not a, an art set, it is a mindset. Giving occasion for our teachers to say, I am creative. I just don't have a chance to flex these muscles a lot because I'm so beleaguered. And look, I get it, man. In the post-COVID times, we're just trying to piece everything back together. So I want to create a space that's not about survival mode. It's that revival. Let's bring everybody together and say, you have been through the wilderness. You've been through the hard stuff. But also we realize that like 90% of our systems could totally change. So let's give ourselves permission to change some of them. And right now, let's be intentional. Spend two days about the theory and the underpinning. So when someone looks at you like a nut, you can say, no, 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 this is actually Piaget. And we have this stuff. This is John Dewey. This is Maria Montessori, et cetera, et cetera. Like, like I'm not fun at parties. I can just talk education theory all day. Or let's play a game and then figure out how would John Dewey respond to this? How would Maria Montessori, how would critics of X, Y, and Z? And then what we're really doing is starting to have teachers see this isn't just flop and puff, like it's that cotton candy stuff, right? And this isn't just ivory tower esoteric. Well, that's great, but I teach subgroup student X. It's like, no, no, no. There's, as Fred Rogers writes, play is the language of childhood, the serious work of childhood. And as George Bernard Shaw, you know, quips so eloquently, we do not stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. Let's give ourselves occasion and permission to do that. And like, yeah, I play with Legos for a living. So it looks like my job is fake, but you know what? I am healthier and happier at 40 than I was at 25 when I was trying to be that stuffy teacher down the hall, giving tests, giving quizzes, giving grades, giving detentions, giving like all of that stuff. Cause I was playing the game of teacher by somebody else's rules. You are in charge. You can change it. And the second you become who you're supposed to be, your kids see it and it changes everything, everything. Well, as we bring the episode a little bit to a close, I do want to build upon what you just shared there. But because we pointed to EMC2 Learning a moment ago, let's get the web address is emc2learning.com. And I'm excited that we've had the opportunity, Michael and my colleagues here at the ESUCC uh, are working out some deals to where entire buildings of teachers here in our state uh, can get connected with you all and and accounts and access to that 650 plus. Like, so, you know, like every year they're making more games and every year we're learning from what games work and put them in our classroom. So I wouldn't do a Beyonce Knowles game until 2023. But there was a time where that worked, right? So like, what is you know, the eternal vigilance of price of freedom? So we continually develop new resources. Every week we're pushing out at least one, if not three new resources. So in a year, you get about 100, 150 new resources, fully editable for any course, any content area. That Likert is, is an example where when we're done with this conversation, that was an extemporaneous example that I need to make a resource for. So I'm going to have a whole full-blown slide deck with sample lesson plans, walkthrough videos, implementation strategies. And we have a worldwide community of uh, thousands of members. We have like over 6,000 teachers uh, the world over who are just committed to a better way to play. So you join in those conversations online. If Twitter turns into X or turns into dust tomorrow, we can still connect with people who want to commit to a better way to play. 
that's all members only discussion forums. We have online coaching. We have uh, new resources that drop insight, listening skills, things like that. It's the reward for the correct answer is harder questions. So we will always be making more. I do not see in my lifetime, um, like Lego kits, you will always be able to snap new ones into the old ones. That's what we're doing. So it's here for you. And uh, that's, that's a big part of uh, what I would love to come to Nebraska to talk about it, to really take people underneath the hood to show you how it works. And then to be very honest, steal your ideas <laughs> so we can make more stuff because I want to, I want you to steal mine. And like um, T.S. Eliot, the American poet says, you know, mediocre writers borrow, great writers steal, steal the heck out of what I got. So like those ideas are popping in your classrooms and then that will beget the next thing. And, and, and that yes, and really does pull, I mean, like, how could you not love it? So yeah, that's, that's what we do. Wow. Well, yeah, if you're an individual teacher or would be looking for less than an entire staff's registration, check out EMC2 Learning and check it out anyway, right? But uh, if you're looking to get your entire staff signed up, you can certainly reach out through the ESUCC and we'll help support you in that also as we've been uh, teaming up with EMC2 Learning to just try to make that an easy onboarding process for educators so that we can make sure that those resources get shared and you become part of that conversation as quickly as possible. And so there's a, maybe the call to action for folks that aren't able to be here uh, for the November event, but um, 30 minutes goes by so fast. <laughs> and so uh, John, I would just ask maybe for a, a parting message or a note to close on. Um, I always say, don't do everything, do one thing and, and like know who you are and be that well. I think that's uh, St. John Baptist de Luzio. Know who you are and be that well. Um, if you're not Catholic, I'll pray for you. Um, but like, I think my faith has helped me figure out who the heck I am. I'm a guy who plays with toys for a living and I don't take myself so seriously. I hope you can hear it in the podcast. I hope you hear my energy come through the screen. But like, I'm that same guy in the classroom. Maybe a few less cuss words, but I'm the exact same guy. And my kids love it. Your favorite class is the one you like the most. The best class is where you learn the most. If we do our jobs right, my class, your class should be both of those things for every kid every freaking day. So let's go. Let's go. So I hope to hang out with you guys over in Nebraska. Uh, if we're not, let's hang out online. Um, and like I said, BMC2, we're going to do awesome stuff. And I would love to be there with you guys to do it. So um, I can't wait. Thanks, buddy. Hey, November can't get here soon enough uh, for those two days. And so certainly thank you for your time to share through this avenue and for all that you do on behalf of the education community uh, and to Michael as well. I'm sure he'll listen into this at some point as we're uh, both inspired and just grateful for all uh, the work that you two pour into uh, enhancing these conversations for us. So thanks a lot, John. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. 